In just a moment, we're going to have a prayer and we'll get started. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And uh, we'll be reading uh, beginning with verse 13, okay? Uh, in just a few moments. We've got some other scripture we're going to read too. Pray with me that God would, would bless and speak through his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word. Lord, we believe that it truly is your word, that it is divinely inspired, and that as Luke recorded what happened after the resurrection, we can fully know that you are alive. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here that has not yet met your living son, that even through the words of Scripture and the testimony of these two men on the road to Emmaus, that they would come to meet your son. And Father, I pray for us as Christians and pray for us as a church. Lord, please remind us that you are alive. You defeated sin and death and Satan and hell. And you'll give us the victory in not only our daily living, but give us victory as we seek to share your love with the world around us. And so, Father, I pray that as Christians, we'll be strengthened by knowing that our Savior lives. And I pray for those that have not yet come to Christ, that they'll be challenged to, to check out his claims and see that he is alive. Lord, be again in our midst and please give honor and glory to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third Sunday that we've looked at what happened after the resurrection. And let me uh, read again the passage of Scripture that we've been reading, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And just look at this on the overhead, but keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter uh, 24, okay? Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Luke wants us to know in those first 11 verses that Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days. Well, the gospel writers tell us some of the events that took place during those 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension back into heaven recorded in this last verse that we just read. In your bulletin last week and this week is some information from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, and this gives us detailed information about what happened during those 40 days according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. 
And folks, if you have not looked at this, I, I really want to encourage you. I can't demand that you do anything, but I want to encourage you to sit down with the Word of God and read about what happened during those 40 days. And this morning, as we look at these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is one of the events that happened actually on that first day. So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture out of the Living Bible. So this is Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. And I hope that you'll either, if you don't have a Bible, you'll follow on the screen or you'll follow in your Bible, okay? Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. That same day, Sunday, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking of Jesus' death. When suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't recognize him. Now look at verse 16. For God kept them from it. We'll talk about why God did this, okay? Verse 17. You seem to be in deep discussion about something, Jesus said. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the terrible things that happened there last week. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did incredible miracles and was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and man. But the chief priest and our religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to the Roman government to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had thought that he was the glorious Messiah and that he had come to rescue Israel. And now besides all this, which happened three days ago, some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and came back with an amazing report that his body was missing and that they had seen some angels there who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, but just, just as the women had said, then Jesus said to them, You are such foolish, foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Listen to verse 27. Then Jesus quoted from passage after passage from the writings of the prophets, beginning with the book of Genesis and going right on through the scriptures, explaining what the passages meant and what they said about himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and at and the end of their journey. Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them as it was getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he asked God's blessings on the food and then took a small loaf of bread and broke it and was passing it over to them when suddenly, when suddenly, it was as though their eyes were open, they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They began telling each other how their hearts had felt strangely warm as he talked with them and explained the scriptures during the walk down the road. Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where the 11 disciples and the other followers of Jesus greeted them with these words. The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. And look at verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. 
and greeted them. In Luke chapter 24, Luke records the experiences of a number of people who had firsthand experiences with the risen Messiah, the risen Lord. In each one of the cases, the people were depressed because of Jesus' death. But when they met the resurrected Lord, they were joyful and praised God. They not only believed then in the resurrected Lord, but they experienced him. And this morning, I'd like for us to listen to this very simple but very powerful story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Verse 13 tells us it is the day of the resurrection, the first morning, that Sunday. Two disciples have left Jerusalem to go back home. But Luke cannot describe, I think, in enough detail the discouragement and frustration in the hearts and minds of these two men. Jesus, whom they had followed, is dead. His body cannot be found. Some of the women have come telling of seeing angels at the tomb who told them that Jesus was alive. But they have not seen him. So they have left Jerusalem with no hope. Listen to verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day this happened. Folks, I don't think you and I, as we read this passage of Scripture, can grasp the depression and the frustration and the hearts and minds of these two men. These two men who had followed Jesus had hoped that he truly was the Messiah, the Christ. They had hoped that his promise of being raised on the third day was the truth. But now it seemed to them simply to be a lie. Warren Wearsby, one of the great Bible scholars, I believe, wrote these words. These disciples were discouraged disciples who had no reason to be discouraged. I'd never thought about it that way. These men were filled with frustration and discouragement, but there was no need because they were getting ready to meet the resurrected Lord. And folks, in verse 17, they're discussing Jesus' death. Kenneth Wiest, who is a great Greek scholar of days gone by, he translates that expression, these two disciples were having animated, heated conversation. And I don't think that he is saying that they were arguing with each other, but they are expressing their discouragement. And in verse 17, the Living Bible translates it, sadness was written across their faces. Folks, I believe if you and I had been out on that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus and we had met these two men, the first thing we would have seen was the despair and the frustration and the discouragement that was even in their faces. Have you and I had such a heavy burden before that people could come up to us and, and they could sense that we were upset about something and they might say, what's wrong? What's wrong? Folks, just imagine some of the statements that they might have been making in this heated conversation and I just let my imagination kind of kind of go and and here's four statements I think that they might have been saying to each other first of all I think they might have said why did Jesus let them put him to death if Jesus was truly the son of God and the Messiah because you see in verse 14 Luke says as they were walking along they were talking of Jesus's death they could not understand it if he is the Christ, if he has come to set up a kingdom, why must he die on the cross? I hope you've asked that question before. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For you and for me and for every lost sinner who's ever been on this planet. 
That's why he was on the cross. That's a whole nother different series of sermons. But they could not understand. You see, they probably heard the religious leaders as they had chided Jesus saying, if you are the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. They could not understand how the Messiah, the very Son of God, would allow himself to die. Secondly, I think they must have been wondering, Jesus kept talking about coming back to life on the third day, and the tomb is empty, and, and nobody's seen him. So he, he's a liar. And I'm wondering if they weren't also thinking, man, don't we look like fools? We've been following this imposter around, believing in his kingship and in his kingdom. And folks, I wonder if they didn't say to one another, hey, let's not tell anyone when we get back to Emmaus that we have been so gullible as to follow this Jesus of Nazareth. I believe they're in the depths of despair. In these moments of doubt and discouragement, they are joined by someone. Look at verse 15. When suddenly Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. Can you get that picture? Can you and I get the picture that the Lord Jesus Christ walks with us every day? But Luke gives us a very important piece of information in verse 16. They didn't recognize him at that point. And Luke tells us, for God kept them from it. You know, when you first read this, you wonder, well, why is God doing this? But let me make some statements, some truths I feel about God and about his son. Sometimes God allows us to go through times of doubt and discouragement. Have you ever been there? They're tough, aren't they? And you wonder, what is God doing or what is he not doing? Sometimes God doesn't let us immediately understand or discern his presence and work in our life. But folks, I want to tell you a truth that is written throughout the words of Scripture. At all times, the eternal Christ is with us. And in his timing, God will reveal himself. Fast forward to verse 31, when suddenly it was as though their eyes were opened, they recognized him. Folks, there's a truth that really, for me personally, develops in this passage of Scripture. Just because these two men had not understood his teaching, nor his death and resurrection, did not make Jesus' claims of dying and being raised again false. Let me tell you something. Just because the unbelieving world today rejects the claim of Jesus, rejects his sacrificial death, his resurrection from the grave, rejects the fact that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Because the world rejects those claims does not mean that Jesus isn't the Son of God and the Messiah and the only way to the Father. He is. But folks... Again, look at this passage of Scripture. And I touched on this last week, and I want to mention it just one more time. In verse 13, Luke tells us that the distance from Emmaus to Jerusalem is seven miles. Have you ever worked or walked seven miles on purpose? Now think about this for just a second. I, I thought this was just really interesting. How long would it take you to walk seven miles? 
after I was studying this passage of Scripture, and again, I told this last week, but I want to tell it one more time. I, when I got in my truck, I, I had to go make some hospital visits in Durham, so I pushed the odometer, and I thought, I'm going to find out how far seven miles is. So if this afternoon you come over here and start working, uh, walking here at the church, if you go out to, I guess it's Footwear Plus out there by Hog Heaven, that's seven miles. How long would it take you to walk that far? Well, folks, here's my point. The Lord Jesus joined with these two men and walked with them. You know that old hymn, he walks with me and talks with me? Folks, that's the truth. He does. And listen, I'm thinking because they're discussing between themselves um, Jesus' death, and then a stranger comes up to them and begins talking and discussing with them, don't you think that several times they stopped and they, they just sit there and just, just started challenging each other. Folks, I believe, in my mind, it would have taken at least 30 minutes to walk a mile. So the trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus would have taken, let's just say, three and a half hours more or less. So here is three and a half hours that they're walking with the resurrected Christ. Well, folks, listen. Think about what we read in... Acts chapter 1, Jesus spent 40 days. And folks, to top all that off, in verse 29, when they get to Emmaus, they beg Jesus to stay the night with them as it was getting late. So he goes into the house with these two men. Folks, let me ask you something. If you spent three and a half hours with someone, would you say that they're real? If you went to somebody's house and sit and had conversation with them, would you say they're real? If Jesus came back and forth over a 40-day period of time and walked with and talked with you, would you not say that he's real? Is Jesus real? He is. Can I have an amen? And he does walk with us, and he does talk with us. But folks, listen to verse 17. Jesus allows these two men to air out their doubts and their discouragement. And Jesus prompts it by asking, Why are you, what are you so concerned about? In verse 18, again, Cleopas does not know yet that this is the Lord. And, and he is so overwrought about what's going on, he looks at Jesus and says, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hadn't heard about the terrible thing that happened there last week. And folks, there is a touch of humor, but more than anything else, great compassion in verse 19, when Jesus says, what things? What things? Our Lord is so patient with us. He listens to us tell him things that he already knows. I read that statement, and it just, I like to fell out of my chair. Think about the times that we talk with the Lord, and we say, Lord, I, I, you know, I've got this great burden, and we act as if God doesn't know about it. He does. And we bring him all these prayer requests and we act as if God doesn't know about it. But listen, God gives us the freedom to just air it out. And God gives us the, the boldness just to come before him and pour our hearts out to him and he listens. And Jesus knew that these two men who were struggling with who he was needed this time to air out their doubts. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. And look at this. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 
Folks, that's encouragement to me because that means that God is willing to listen to things that he already knows. Thank God. You know, one of the reasons that prayer is so helpful, it is therapeutic, it just allows us to to put out in the open those things that are troubling us. And so Jesus says to the Cleopas, tell me what's troubling you. But listen, the more Cleopas talked, the more he indicted himself and his friend for their unbelief. In verse 19 and following, let me point some things out that God had already helped these men to understand. They understood from verse 19 that Jesus was a real man from Nazareth. And they knew that Jesus had the authority of God to teach and preach and had performed many mighty deeds or miracles, verse 19. In verse 20, they said they knew that the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They knew, they knew what had happened to Jesus. And then they said they had hoped He was the Christ. And it says here that they had heard the declaration uh, that he had made about rising on the third day. And then in verse 22 and 23, they had heard the testimony of the women. His body was gone. And the women had seen angels at the empty tomb who told them that the Lord is alive. And they knew in verse 24 that some of the apostles went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. And they had not seen the resurrected Lord. And so they left town. Think about this for just a second. Have you ever seen your team get getting beat so bad? that instead of watching the rest of the game, you said, well, they're going to lose. I'm going to bed. Forget about this. And next morning, find out that your team had won. You ever had that experience? These guys left town. God had been sending all this information about what was going on, but they didn't understand it. And they left town thinking that Jesus was dead, his body was gone, and they'd never see him again. Let me just share this with you. If you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior and don't have a personal relationship with him, did you know that God's been at work in your heart? He's put people in your paths to draw you to himself. Maybe it was Christian parents. Maybe it's Christian grandparents. Maybe your children are Christians. You're not yet. Maybe it's a neighbor, a co-worker. Maybe a Sunday school teacher that you remember from your past. Maybe even perhaps a preacher. On and on the list could go of God giving witness to his resurrected son and most especially the testimony of the Holy Spirit. But yet you haven't come to that point in time yet. These men left town with all this evidence that Jesus was alive, but they hadn't seen him. What was their main problem? Well, it was their hearts. They had been given much evidence about the risen Christ, but they did not believe. Why didn't Jesus just reveal himself to these two men like he did Thomas? You remember Thomas said, "If unless I can see where the nails were driven in his hands and the spear was pushed in his side, I'll not believe. And you remember the, the Sunday after the resurrection that Jesus came to the disciples and he knew that Thomas had doubted, so he got Thomas to touch his hands and touch his side. Well, folks, 
God deals with every one of us in different ways to reveal himself. And for these two men, they didn't see who Jesus was until he revealed himself at their house. What does Jesus do to reveal himself? Have you ever thought about that? He could have performed a miracle. But listen to what he did in verses 25 to 27. Let me read these verses to you again. Look at verse 25, 26, and 27. I hope you've still got your Bible open. Then Jesus said to them, You are such foolish, foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have, would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted them passage after passage from the writings of the prophets, beginning with the book of Genesis and going right on through the scriptures, explaining what the passages meant and what they said about himself. Folks, listen. Jesus began to explain the scripture. And folks, let me show you these two verses. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 40 and 45. And this is later. This is later when Jesus met with all the group. How does he explain to them? Look at this. Then he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And let me tell you why those three areas of Scripture, the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms, is so important. To the Jewish mind, the entire Old Testament could be described in these three phrases. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms represented all the writings, the books of writings. And Jesus is opening here the entire Old Testament to these folks to understand that the Old Testament points to who he is. And folks, this is all that they had. Folks, the problem with the two disciples is not that they did not believe what the Scripture said about the Messiah, but they misunderstood it. They thought the Messiah would not come as a servant and suffer. They saw the Messiah's glory, but not the suffering, the crown, but not the cross. And where does Jesus take them? He takes them to the Word of God. No wonder Satan wants you and me to stay out of the Bible. And let's be honest with, you, with each other Christians. How much time do we give? And I'm not saying this critically of you. I'm just saying that we are so blinded to the truth held in the Word of God. Folks, so often our Bible simply becomes some type of decoration at the house that we want people to think that we're religious. Well, folks, Satan wants this book to be closed not only on our tables, but in our minds and in our hearts. And Jesus began to open the Scripture. Jesus wanted the Word of God to lead you and I to know who He is. And the key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus on each page. Warren Wiersbe wrote that, not Herbert Brown. Let me read that again. The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus Christ on each page. Folks, no wonder Satan does not want us to preach and teach and live and believe the Word of God. But folks, back to the story. By this time, Jesus and these two disciples had gotten to Emmaus. And the two men invited this Bible-teaching stranger to stay the night. He came home with them. Do we invite Jesus into our home? I want to tell you something. 
He does. He walks with us and talks with us. Wherever we go, he's with us. Most especially at home. Jesus, in that setting of the home, sets down to eat a meal. And when he asked God's blessing on the food that they're getting ready to partake, suddenly it was as though their eyes were open and they recognized him. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean all of a sudden these guys wised up? Absolutely not. This is the work of the Spirit of God. Listen, Jesus had opened their minds to the Scripture and then their eyes to who he was. And now they knew for themselves that Jesus was alive. Well, folks, what happens after that? Suddenly, Jesus is gone. Now, does that mean that the Lord abandoned them? Absolutely not, because he was going to be with them, although they could not now see him. They soon would meet him again in verse 36. Their moment of revelation, their full disclosure of who Jesus was, came at that moment of revelation Folks, are you willing for the Lord to reveal himself to you? How will that happen? Listen to what Paul says in Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes by the preaching of Christ. Folks, there is no other way for us to come to know the Lord except the Spirit of God open the Word of God and help us to understand Christ's life and death and resurrection for us. These two men suddenly knew that Jesus was alive. And they began to testify to each other in verse 32. They, they say how their hearts had felt strongly warm as he talked with them and explained the scripture during the walk down the road. Let me tell you something. When Jesus, the living Jesus, is in your heart, there's going to be a fire there. In verse 33 and 34. I love this. Is this, is this not just absolutely incredible? Look, immediately they head back to Jerusalem. Why? They want to go back and tell the others they've seen the Lord. It's not just a story. The women were right. The angels were right. He is alive. Somebody asked me after the 830 service, they said, well, if it took three and a half hours to get from Jerusalem to Emmaus, how long do you think it took to get from Emmaus to Jerusalem? I think they put it in fifth gear to get back. I want to ask you something, church. Are we excited about telling the world that Jesus is alive? These guys got excited. But let me tell you what just buffaloes me. When they get back to where the 11 disciples and the other followers are, you know, I'm bad about cutting people off, and I apologize if I've cut you off. I just get so caught up sometimes in what I want to tell you. But listen. Before these two men could say Jesus is alive, listen to what the 11 disciples and the other followers of Jesus said to them. The Lord has really risen. And he appeared to Peter. And in verse 35, the two men began to testify what happened on the road to Emmaus. To testify what they had experienced themselves. And look at verse 36. Oh, man, look at verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, who suddenly showed up? It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Is Jesus real and risen in your life? 
You've heard the story. You've heard that he died on the cross. He was buried. On the third day, there was an empty tomb, and the angels told the women and others who came to the tomb that he was alive. You've heard the scriptures, but do you believe? And I want, I want to tell you some good news. If you've got questions, you say, no, no, I, I don't believe yet. I don't believe yet. I, I don't understand this. I want to tell you what. Take them to the Lord. He gives you that freedom. Ask. Ask him. He won't upset him. He won't make him mad. He won't make you feel as if your question is unimportant. You know, so often we don't ask God enough. He wants to give us all the information. All we got to do is ask. How about reading the Bible? We began this series, and I ask you for 40 days, would you take time to read the Word of God? Would you, believe, would you begin in John chapter 1 and read through Acts 19? And if you do that, would you be prepared to meet the risen Lord? He'll meet you. And when you meet him, how can you come to know him as your personal Savior? I want to show you one last verse of Scripture. It's from Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Quickly give you the what's going on. Paul and Silas have been in the town of Philippi. And they've been healing and preaching and casting out demons. And they have got the folks mad as fire with them. And they have put Paul and Silas in the innermost part of the prison. No chance of getting out of the stocks, the chains, the locked doors. God causes an earthquake. The shackles fall off. The doors are open. The angels are there. When the head guard finds out that the doors are open and the chains have fallen off, he draws his sword to kill himself. But you've got to understand that was a punishment for a jailer who let prisoners escape. And he'd rather go ahead and take his own life rather than being executed by his government. Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. The man comes into Paul. Paul and Silas, they've been singing hymns. They've been praying. They've, I'm sure they've been preaching about the living Jesus. And this jailer's heard. And he comes into them and says, what must I do to be saved? Listen to what Paul says. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and all your household. You remember Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul knew that Jesus was alive. Do you know that today? My dear friend, please, whether it's today, whether it's in this moment, this hour, but please, call upon the risen Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that as a church, as a preacher, as a Christian, as a witness, we don't have to prove that you're alive. We simply have been commissioned to tell your story. That you died on the cross, you were buried, but on the third day you rose from the dead. And that you are alive right now, and that through the Spirit of God you're speaking to those that are lost. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not yet made that decision to trust Christ, the risen Christ, 
as their Savior that they would. I pray if they have questions, Lord, they would bring them to you. And they would listen as you give them answers. I pray for we who are Christians, Father, so often we take the fact that you are risen and alive for granted. So often we walk through life as if you were off in heaven and we're down here on the earth and you don't have anything to do with us. But thank you, Father, that you do walk with us as you did those two men on the road to Emmaus. Thank you that you'll talk to us. Thank you that you'll reveal your purpose and plan for our life if we allow your living presence to guide us each day. So, Father, I pray in these moments of invitation that the living Lord might speak to hearts. And I pray that whether it's to recommit a life to Christ, whether it's to profess faith in Jesus for the first time, whether it's to move church membership, whatever, O oh God, your will is, may we respond to the risen Christ today. In his name we pray. Amen.